Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. My name's Yvette and I'm Ellen and this week we're talking to Maggie Van Eyck. She's an author and a new mum. She's written a lovely book called Remember This When You're Sad. So we're going to be chatting to her about that, but also we're going to be chatting to her a lot about sort of pregnancy and giving birth and motherhood. So I used to work at BuzzFeed and I'd write mental health articles for them. And I started writing about my own um, BPD, um, but also just depression, self-harm, anxiety, um, and also interviewing lots of other people. Um, and then it just kind of became apparent I had a bit more of a story to tell than just these one-off articles. Um, and I got in touch with an agent who kind of pushed me to to write my story down um, in its entirety. And that's, yeah, how it came about. What I really like about it is you've got lots of listicles in there, mm. which breaks it down. And I think the reason I find it very helpful is because I've got um, bipolar disorder. When you have things like depression, it's quite hard to to read big lumps of text, I find. Mm. So even the act of reading can be quite difficult. So you do have some lumps of text. That's fine. That's not a criticism. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. No. <laughs> but then you do have quite a lot of lists. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so remember this when you're sad. Did you know from the start that that was the kind of approach that you wanted to have in terms of the style? Um, I think so. I didn't want, I wanted to write about my own experiences, but not make it just too sad and also not to make it about me because I'm not a famous person or a therapist so like what do I know really and I spent a lot of my teenage 
um, years reading other people's memoirs, you know, like the darker, the better, like drug addiction and prostitution. And I just love those kind of books, but ultimately they leave you feeling even sort of more sad. So I wanted there to be an element of like help and usefulness in it. And that's where the lists came in so that I, so people could sort of like photocopy it or write it down or print it out and stick it on their bedroom walls and, and kind of, yeah, help them that way. Yeah, absolutely. There's lots of sort of very sort of simple things. Cause like I said, like with the depression things, if you experience that yourself, um, so both of us. And um, yeah, it really does help, doesn't it, to just have lists up yourself or lists in books like this mm. to kind of remind you things that could make you a bit happier, which I guess is the whole thing, like the inspiration for the book yeah. overall. Yeah, definitely. Can you talk a bit about your diagnosis? Because I know that's something that you kind of cover in your book, that it was not easy yeah. necessarily. How did your diagnosis come about? What was your kind of path to it? Uh, the diagnosis took a while. So I was diagnosed with depression and general anxiety disorder at uni. And for the longest time, I thought there was something physically wrong with me. So I'd go in for, you know, ask them to check for meningitis, diabetes. Um, I thought I had a brain tumour at one point. Like I didn't really know anything about anxiety. So that was kind of when the ball started rolling for me in terms of like, okay, I've got something mental sort of going on had therapy and medication for it. And then sort of in my early 20s, the anxiety and depression just got worse and the episodes became more intense and longer. And I thought there was something else sort of at play. And after I had to go to A&E for sort of like the sixth or seventh time, a crisis team, they put me through a psychiatric assessment and they thought that I had bipolar disorder they decided that I didn't and then they thought maybe I did and then I so I went back and forth between all these hoops and in the meantime kind of doing my own research and the more I read about borderline personality disorder and the more I read about the case studies the more I was like mm, this sounds really familiar to me and I can even though all the jargon was super cold and medical I just felt like mm, this feels like my story so when I had another assessment I thought look I think this is something that I have and within five minutes they were like yeah that makes sense so I kind of had to steer it sort of myself. Was that frustrating? It yeah. It sounds frustrating. It was like I felt like I had to jump through a lot of hoops mm. and like, you know, every assessment requires like a six months waiting list. It was like a really long time. But the payoff from getting the right diagnosis like far outweighed the frustration of it leading up to it. Yeah. And then what was the treatment once you had that diagnosis? Uh, so I saw a therapist who had more specific experience with people with BPD. And then I was on various other waiting lists for um, sort of group therapy and dialectical behavioural therapy, which is what people with BPD often get recommended. But I just fell through. I then moved to a different borough. So then I went back down on the waiting list. So I never actually got that access to that care. But the therapist really helped and I found lots of support online. So I joined various Facebook groups. Um, I was part of like an app that I found through Reddit. Like I just found lots of online support. So that, that was really good for me as well. You're quite an online person so yeah. that, that makes sense <laughs> how have you found the internet helpful beyond kind of finding apps or mm. information have you found like the community aspect helpful yeah definitely I think when I was so when I was a teenager like a lot of teenagers I got sucked into the pro Anna pro Mia stuff on online and through I think it was live journal at the time and Zanga and I spent a lot of my teenage years with other women online trying to lose weight you know sharing tips on how to puke up your dinner and it was all like super destructive so it was kind of interesting that I was able to find actually a productive community and even out of the pro-ana friendships I made there were a couple of women who 
we'd kind of talk for longer and talk less about the eating disorder and more about like books we liked or music. And because of then I got really into um, like Fiona Apple and the Arctic Monkeys and it kind of shaped a lot of who I was as a teenager and, and sort of getting into my 20s. So I kind of found my people. And then um, I think Facebook has a lot of uh, negative aspects to it. But I think through groups, I found a lot of um, kindred spirits, especially because I've recently become a mum. So I found lots of mums um, who also kind of experience mental health problems and how we kind of navigate motherhood and, and pregnancy whilst also juggling all this stuff that's going on in our heads. I definitely want to talk about motherhood. Yeah, because, great. Well, <laughs> Yvette and I do not have kids. I have a cat, but that's not the same thing. Not quite, no. I can't compare because that's considered rude to parents, but whatever. Um, so you know, having a baby yeah it's crazy what was that like for your mental health like were you worried about that when you decided to have a child yeah I was super worried and I think it came at an interesting yeah a weird time because I could feel my mental health on the decline and I could feel that I was potentially going to go off the rails again and and kind of veer into more like self-destruction and then I found out I was pregnant I was like shit And it was actually the biggest lifeline because it meant that I had to get my shit together because I needed to keep my baby alive. I needed to keep myself well and healthy and I needed to like access the help and get help and advocate for myself in the way that I I don't think unfortunately I would have done if I hadn't been pregnant. It gives you a nudge. You have to, even if you can't care about yourself, you have to care about something else. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. What were the particular challenges though around pregnancy itself and yeah, initially having a baby in terms of mental health? Because I'm sure there mm. must be loads in terms of maybe medication, but also, you know, the whole sleepless nights, all kinds of ways that it, it would change your routine. Yeah. Uh, there's loads. <laughs> I think, yeah, initially with medication, I assumed I'd have to, someone's talipram on like quite a high dosage. And I assumed that I'd have to go off them. And the GP recommended that I go down a couple sort of levels. Um, and already just doing it once, it really messed up with my brain chemistry. And the midwife was like, look, it's way more important that you are healthy and we can keep you in balance than like the very tiny risk that it will go into your baby or cause any problems after birth. Um, so that just, it, yeah, it just became more important. That I need to look after myself. I think physically your body goes through so many changes when you're pregnant and your body sort of doesn't become, I mean, literally doesn't become yours because there's a human sort of taking part, another human taking part in it. But people also like comment on your body more. So people would be like, oh, but you, you know, look so tiny still. And I know that's like a nice thing, but that would spiral like a whole anxiety thing. So I'd be like, oh no, am I not showing enough? Like, am I going to be a bad mum? Is this baby going to die? Like, it would just be this whole thing. And also like normally you shouldn't really comment on people's bodies anyway. So like, it's a bit weird that some colleague I haven't spoken to in ages is like, oh, you look too small. Like that is weird to me so that was like a bit of an adjustment a lot of the scans are very like medical and clinical and you're expected or I felt I was expected to look at a scan and be like whoa there's my baby and instead I just felt like oh ew and this is so weird and my body isn't mine and I'm I don't feel a connection to what I'm seeing on screen I feel like that isn't inside me um and then I would just sort of leave the appointments feeling like really down like I hadn't experienced what all these other women are experiencing but actually in hindsight talking to other people it, that's a very common reaction and it's hard, hard in like this very clinical environment to have this big emotional reaction because it's just like it's not quite the setting for it yeah I'm sure that's very common I mean yeah. you sort of you, you see these films these scenes in films don't you have everyone sort of seeing this scan everyone gets all excited but I'm sure for lots of them they're, mm. they're just like oh I mean when when friends show me their pictures I'm more like 
looks a bit like a potato, but I'm allowed I mean, to say yeah. that because I'm a friend. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe I'm not allowed to say that. But anyway, that's maybe what I'm thinking. Not, not supposed to. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, I think it's uh, totally understandable that you might sort of not yeah. immediately connect with it. How have you found things since? So how old's your baby now? She's She'll be six months uh, in a few days. How have you found the whole... Well, first of all, how did you find giving birth? Because you've got a section in the book which is about... Mm. Yeah, basically being sort of scared to give birth and all that. Yeah, I know. Because everyone must be scared to give birth. I don't know how people manage it, to be honest. Yeah, it's definitely the anxiety leading up to it is is a lot. But genuinely, my entire like birth experience was amazing. And I would do it again without even having a child come out. Like, it was so great. Like, and I'm not even lying or exaggerating. What? Yeah. <laughs> like, it was, that is, I think, I, so I put a lot of, and I'm not saying that, it's how much work you put into it because a lot of it is luck. And like, I was really, really lucky that everything went super smoothly and there were no complications. But I did most of my early labor at home. My waters broke when I was in a cafe with my friend and I was like bitching about an ex-boyfriend and then suddenly my waters broke. So like that is a helpful tip in case someone wants to speed along. And then I went home and like contractions really hurt. Like there's just no way about it. They just suck. Like it feels like your spine is like being ripped in two. But with each contraction, like it it goes up and then it goes down again. So you know you're always going to get like a little bit of a break. And then... Yeah, the midwives came up to to check on me and, you know, things hadn't really sped along. So I was just kind of alternating between like lying in bed, lying in the bath, sort of like hosing myself down with water, like the end of the free willy when they're like transporting him into the ocean and they're just like chucking water on him. That's kind of me in the bath, like, oh, like my poor boyfriend was just like running around, like chucking water on me, getting crisps or whatever. And um, then the midwife came to check on me again and I had suddenly dilated to six centimetres, which was like a lot. Um, and then I was in an Uber and went to hospital. I had loads of gas and air, which was amazing. I was really like nervous about taking drugs, not because I was against it, but because I was worried about how it would affect my anxiety. And the when they were saying like, oh, it's like you retreat into your head. It's like, well, I do that enough. I don't mm-hmm. want that at all. Um, but actually it was the shit. It was so great. I was like, this, this is fun fantastic and I was like hooked onto this like gas and air canister and I was actually blood around it because I was just gumming it so hard I was just like someone at Glastonbury I was like I don't want want more I want more and then I had a really like easygoing water birth yeah like it hurt but it wasn't like anything I couldn't manage and then Astrid our baby when she was born it, it definitely wasn't that thing that they say in the movies where you feel this instant connection I felt like I was being introduced to a famous person it's like someone I'd been like thinking about for a really long time and then I saw her and I was like oh my god it's you girl hey it's just like a really surreal it wasn't necessarily like oh and now I become a mother it was just like oh this is crazy but in a really good way you describe it in a way that sounds appealing but I'm still just thinking pain yeah I mean yeah it's it does hurt but it's it's nothing that you can't handle Mm. weirdly I had this weird cyst on my neck during pregnancy that I had to get removed and that was more painful than labor like it was this like annoying little cyst it was so so ridiculous but that whole experience was like more traumatic for me than birth like I think I just you know really I put a lot of work into 
trusting my body, which is something that I don't normally do. I like I'm someone when I'm like walking down the street and I trip, it sets off this big reaction in my head, like, oh well, I almost died. So I was really like nervous about having to trust my body that much. But I had a really great perinatal counselor who specialized in that. Um and I talked a lot about how I was scared that I was going to dissociate and not be present and that maybe it'd be a bit like in, in the get out when they're like stuck in the the blackness that I would be stuck in like my head forever but that didn't happen I was like super terrifying yeah it was like the most terrifying thing and that didn't happen and I think that is because I just I worked really hard at like being there mentally and that um, somehow happened I was really lucky do you remember how you were feeling mentally while giving birth was there any kind of fear or worry about what was happening or were you completely enjoying gas and air (laughs) (laughs) yeah I was definitely enjoying gas and air I was retreating into my head a lot but Mm -hmm. sort of in like a really sort of healthy way I wanted like very minimal people there so it was only my boyfriend and the midwife and luckily because I didn't have any complications that was all fine and a bit like sort of like when a cat a cat is in pain they kind of like go off by themselves and they just want to like deal with it by themselves like that's kind of how I I was a bit like just leave me alone for a bit I'm just gonna handle this guys and you become very like almost like an animal like to push the baby out you have to really like bear down and like make sounds that you're like whoa that's crazy but it's kind of freeing like when do you ever get to do that unless you're like on a roller coaster but it's rare that you get to be that sort of like basic animal type person so that's quite enjoyable. So tell us a bit about um, baby Astrid and how um, basically her arriving has affected your mental health now mm. because I think that's the thing that would scare me that yeah. first of all the, uh, the idea of uh, getting pregnant and giving birth scares me but also the idea of then um, having this little person to look after mm. when you're also trying to sort of look after your own mental health. Yeah yeah it's it's crazy um, it's amazing but it's also crazy and I think a big part of my um, borderline personality disorder is like fundamentally I don't believe that I'm a lovable person and that nobody you know should have to love me because that's just such a ball ache and then you have a baby and like a baby is is gonna love their mother because they have to to survive and so you know I'd be holding her and people would be like oh like she's really like looking where you are in the room and she's like you have this amazing connection and be like she doesn't know it she's not doing that like I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that I have someone who loves me unconditionally because relationships there is love and I love my boyfriend and I hope he loves me but you can still test it and push those boundaries and push people away but it's really hard to do that with a baby because they just need you like they need you to feed they need you to love them you need to keep them warm and so that was a kind of a really good eye-opener for me that I am it is possible to love me um, and I'm, I'm capable of loving someone unconditionally I'm capable of doing that and it's really scary but that it's it's a good thing and she's just like really like made me like show up for myself like you can't decide to wake up and be like oh, I'm just like not going to be a mum today like you have to wake up and do it every day and that's really tiring but it's really good discipline for me because I think with my mental health sometimes I've been a bit lazy and I haven't looked after myself and I've chosen to binge drink or do drugs or have sex with people I shouldn't have sex with and you really can't do that when you have a baby I mean it's a good thing because I wouldn't want to be taking her out on town she's like made me show up for myself in a way that I don't think you know anyone else could have you're really selling babies I have to say (laughs) oh my god I'm such a (laughs) pro baby person like just do it (laughs) 
Are you thinking about having another? Or do you think that would be a bit much? Uh, I think, yeah, I think it would be a much. I mean, I've always said that I would love like a football team of babies because I just, I just love kids. And I was a very lonely kid and I didn't have a very like stable childhood. And I've always thought I want to give like a million kids the most stable life they can ever have. And if a kid is like, oh, my life is so boring, I'll be like, yes, I did a good thing. You need to be bored. And so, in in my head, I would, you know, be living on like a llama farm and be having all these babies. But realistically, I think one, I probably couldn't afford to have a kid right now. And I would love to just have as much time as possible with, with Astrid before even thinking about an, another kid. And I think my boyfriend would go crazy if I was like, I'm pregnant again. <laughs> he would not like that. Does he know about your plans to have a million children? <laughs> <laughs> he does. And like many okay. of my, my whimsies, he like just laughs off as like a thing that probably won't happen um like I'm one of those people like every day I want a new career like when yeah. I meet someone like just walking in here I was like oh my god I should definitely be a journalist or I should you know I was talking to security guard I should be a security guard like I always want everything and so I think he thinks that's one of my whims but I do legit want a lot of children a million yeah children. no maybe not a million maybe it's like <laughs> Madonna it's like a rivaling Madonna how did you feel like in the immediate weeks afterwards because I, I think one of my concerns would be mm. postnatal depression did yeah. you notice any kind of dip in your mood or change in your symptoms and mental state I think it helped that I was super prepared like I mm. almost assumed um that I would get it and uh where I give gave birth that was opposite the Maudsley which is a really good mental health ward and I, I my jokes every day would be like I can't wait to check into the Maudsley like I just assumed that that's where I would go and um, because of that I did make sure I had loads of additional support so I had midwives who came more frequently than they would for other people I had a community nurse who checks in with me and how I'm bonding with the baby and I had a early intervention health visitor who comes more often than a normal health visitor would as well and normally you go to them but she would just come to you so I didn't really have to leave the house and have that anxiety about like how am I going to get on the bus how am I going to get in tube they just constantly came to me so that was a massive help and it's it's freeing in a way that it, you it's rare that in your life something will focus you so much like the only thing that matters is keeping this tiny human alive and so you know the dishes can weigh you know you can't think about work can't think about you know twitter followers like all that 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 matters is just keeping someone alive and you know override sleep even or like looking after yourself like my mum stayed with us the first two weeks and she would remind me to go have a nap and I was like oh no but I want to like hang out with Astrid and she was like Astrid's not going to remember like just go sleep and like have a shower because you stink and so that was really helpful to kind of remind myself about the self-care aspect and having like every day I would make sure I would have like a half an hour bath to myself and that really helped me reconnect with my body because your body's sort of hijacked by this person and then you know after you give birth I remember looking at myself in the mirror and being like this body doesn't feel like mine at all like it's gone through something really intense you know I'm like bleeding everywhere it's almost like a balloon that's just been deflated and it's just kind of shriveled and it's like this is strange and so having that like bath time kind of made me like look at my body as sort of piece it back together like in my brain so that I could like reconnect everything because it's literally kind of blasted apart but it was great but it was, <laughs> it was great fantastic how do you make sure that you are looking after yourself and also I think and I'm just voicing my own concerns mm. about having children now my worry would be getting hyper focused mm. on the baby 
and yeah. becoming so anxious about them that um, just being a constant loop of like, what if this happens? What if this happens? Yeah. Do you find that? And how do you make sure it doesn't become overwhelming? Basically? Yeah, it's it is hard. And I think because a lot a lot of people say like, oh, trust your mom instinct. Like I'm uh, um, friends with a lot of like American people on Facebook, so I want to talk about mom things. I always talk about mom things. And then yeah, it, it's it's hard because when they say like, oh, trust your gut, I'm like, well because of BPD I don't really have a gut instinct so like should I go to hospital is this rash okay should I do this should I do this and that is a big worry especially in the beginning there is always something wrong with babies like whether it's really serious or not very serious like they kept thinking that Astrid had jaundice so we kept having to go to A&E to get her jaundice level checked and turns out she was fine but it's very common that you know they just want to get you get your baby checked out and that was a really stressful um but as they grow older and they're more robust you, there's less of that health anxiety around your baby and you can ease up a little bit but it's like it's a work in progress like I had to hand over Astrid to Alex at Victoria Station and because it's rush hour I made him take a picture of Astrid at every part of the journey so my phone is just you know she's in the bus she's in the train she's in the tube she's on the street she's at home and that's sort of how I so that's like compromising my brain like I really want to go do this I'm gonna have to be without her yes I'm gonna have to ask for a million pictures but that's fine that's how I'm gonna get through it so you just have to compromise a little bit um, I just suppose as well like you've written this lovely book what are your plans next um, in terms of the mental health kind of stuff, um, in terms of the book, do you feel like you're done with that? Or, yeah, I know you've, <laughs> I feel a bit mean asking you that because you've already got, you've no, got a little no. baby to look after at the moment. So no, you no, might not be fine. sort of having any sort of massive at the moment. <laughs> but yeah, what I would just have to, like to poo in peace. <laughs> <laughs> that would be my yeah, goal. they won't leave you alone, will they, small children? Well, you, you can't leave them alone. No, she like has to watch me do everything. It's like, well, I'm sorry. It's just how, how it goes. Yeah, how do mums even wash? I do wonder about that. Like, do they have to come into the shower with you and everything? Like, you just yeah, you can't I leave put them. her on the floor and just sort of like talk to her as I'm showering or on the loo. It's like it's really relentless, but it's um, you know it's fun when they're sixteen. You'd be like, you watched me poo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in terms of, of writing more, I I really want to write another book. I don't want it to be about myself. I think I'm also like I'm 29. Like if I was like 70, then yeah, sure, I've had enough life for like another part two. But like I just haven't. I've told pretty much all there is to tell, and I'm not. I haven't been a mum for long enough to like write a mum book so I would love to write a fiction and I'm working on a story um I heard about uh, during a Radio 4 program about um often in, in mental health wards I've you know had some experience with the older sort of male staff there's that power of abuse of like the younger sort of teenage patients and so that's a story like I'm hoping to explore within fiction rather than writing something non-fiction but I've been co currently writing in like two minute intervals so it's sure will take 10 years if that probably longer <laughs> yeah no, and that no, I think it will be quicker than that though from because from what I've heard from other sort of mums like when you do have a baby you have this weird thing where like yes initially you're really busy but then when you do suddenly get some free, free time you mm. sort of you get loads of stuff done in the free time and then you look back on when you didn't have a baby and you're just like oh why do I spend all that time watching Netflix I, mean, I do I do, do but that, yeah so. <laughs> I'm sure you I'm sure you will get this um the fiction book out cool thank you yeah
If you've been affected by any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116-123 or you can find them online at samaritans.org. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a review on iTunes. Give us a follow on Twitter at Mentally Yours about YRS. We're also on Facebook as a group. Just search Mentally Yours. Thanks very much to our producer, Juliet Nichols, and to Lucy Baker for our jingles. See you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 